does it work in the world? And he's expanding his kingdom. And what we're studying this year, the kingdom of God, this is not a theory. This is a reality. When we have life in Christ, we, we become participants, citizens of the kingdom of God. So we have life in the kingdom of God. And, and, and this, is, this is an activity. It's not a theory. It's not something we study. It's something we do. It's something that we are. And what we're studying this summer are the promises of the kingdom of God. These are characteristics found in Matthew chapter 5. They are the Beatitudes. And these are characteristics that, that have a corollary part, promise that goes with them so that when we're living out these char characteristics, we get to enjoy these promises. Now, every one of the Beatitudes begins the same way. Blessed. And we've talked about this. This is the word makarios, means possessing the favor of God, that state of being marked by fullness from God. And one of the great examples is the Makarios Islands. Uh, this is right off the Isle of Greece. And this, is, this island is, 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 is completely functional within itself. It doesn't need anything from the outside world. And so it is for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We have everything we need in Christ Jesus. We don't need anything from the world to make us whole. We are made whole in Christ alone. And what we have in this world is an opportunity to serve our king, to be citizens of this kingdom, and, and to live out this life, this life in the kingdom of God that are these characteristics described in the Beatitudes. Again, these Beatitudes are not for the elite Christians. I've said this before, we'll say it again. These blessed qualities are true of all Christians. They're made actual in Christ they're sought by all saints and they're partnered with promises. And, and no, you'll never, we'll never live them out to, to the level of Christ our King. Uh, only our Master, Jesus Christ, has done this perfectly. But as we walk in the footsteps of our Master, as we seek to live out His life, we, we will experience not only what these qualities are in and of ourselves, but we will also enjoy the promises. Today we're going to look at this blessed quality found in Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. This quality of hungering and thirsting for righteousness. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, why don't you go ahead and, and take it out for the reading of the Word. I'm going to ask Grayson to come and read our text. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word. He's going to read this one and, and a couple of others just for good measure. So, Grayson, if you would, start there in Matthew 5, verse 6. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Amen. Amen. Good job, Grayson. If you would, go ahead and be seated and, and pray now for the preaching of, of God's word. We are to hunger and thirst for righteousness. That's a, it's a way of life. It's a way of being. And, and as we do, the, the promise is that, that we will be satisfied. Let, let's start this morning. Let's look at some terms, okay? Let, let's, first of all, let's start with righteousness. It's simply being and doing what God requires. Let me remind you again that this is a description. This righteousness, it's a description. The Beatitudes are not commands. They are descriptions. But understand, once you've been made righteous and you are righteous in Christ Jesus, that will change the way you think. It will change your attitude and it will, it will drive your actions so that you, you will live a righteous life. But it doesn't work in reverse. Trying to do righteous things won't make you a righteous being. Uh, becoming a righteous being happens by grace through faith in Christ alone. And once you are made righteous, then you then are free and capable of living a righteous life. This righteousness comes to us outside of us by the grace of God. 
Well, what does it mean to hunger and thirst for righteousness? It's to be overwhelmed with the desire to experience God and to have him rule over our lives. Friends, this is not a slight interest. You know, it's not me in, in, in Formula One racing. I, I've gotten into this. A friend of mine got me into F1 racing. I don't know anything about cars. I don't know what's going on, but it's fast and I like it, right? Now, it's just an interest. I'm not going to go drive one. I, I, you know, I just, I, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's you know, they're in, they're in Britain today. I'm going to maybe watch it, probably take a nap in the middle of it. It's kind of like how some people do church. But that's not what God's called us to, see. See, if this is to be a desire. This is to be a passion. This is to press us satisfied. This is so important. To be satisfied is to be full, content, and whole. Full, content, and whole. You know, when you read the Psalms, Psalm 20 to Psalm 134, those 15 Psalms, they're called Psalms of Ascent. And they were used by the people of Israel when they were making their way during any of the festivals to go and worship God there at the temple. And one of the things you'll find there is this deep satisfaction in knowing the one true God and celebrating Him. And one of the metaphors that is often used in those ascents is that of a, of a baby that has been cleaned and fed and being held by its parent. And that child is satisfied. And so it is for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. We've been cleaned. We've been made full in the goodness of God by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we are held by our heavenly Father. And there is a satisfaction and there is a contentment that comes. I like the way St. Augustine said it. You have made us for yourself, O Lord. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. It's important to understand that the, that the key to all of this is desire. If you've never gained an appetite for something or if you've lost an appetite for something, you won't want it. You won't be passionate about it. It'll just be there and you'll participate if you have the energy or, or the interest that day. But to desire something, well, that, that changes everything. What, what does desire look like? You maybe have seen this before. I, I saw this on, on uh, social media. I thought this, this is good. First time getting ice cream. Yes. <laughs> That's desire. You know, a little bit of taste and then, right? That's not a slight interest in ice cream, is it? That is a desire. Now look, a, a strong desire for ice cream, that's natural, all right? A strong desire for righteousness, it's, it's strong, but it's supernatural. It's something that only God produces. It's something that happens by the miracle of new birth. It's something that happens in Christ alone. Now, now each week as we have sought to, these, to understand these Beatitudes, we've, we've used a, a particular character. Today, we're going to use the prophet Isaiah. And we're going to use his coming to faith experience to help us understand what it is to hunger and thirst for righteousness so that we might be satisfied. Let's go ahead, take your Bibles, and let's go from Matthew 5 or 6. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 6. This needs to be marked in your Bibles, by the way. Isaiah chapter 6. You need to be an expert in this chapter. Uh, this, this speaks to the salvation experience of Isaiah. It speaks to the calling of Isaiah. This is one of the first uh, written encounters of heaven. Uh, what we have written here is, the, is the, uh, the word of God revealing to us the presence of God and, and what heaven is like. And it's consistent with what you would read in Daniel and Joel and the revelation by the apostle John. 
And this experience of his calling helps us understand how God intervenes in a person's life and gives that desire for righteousness. I would encourage you to write down and remember three things, what this desire for righteousness comes from. The first is this, the desire for righteousness comes from a biblical view of God. A biblical view of God. Not my feelings about God, not your feelings about God, not, not some mythical explanation that someone has come up with who's smart and, 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 and graceful with words. No, no, no. What the in, in, inerrant, infallible word of God says about God. That's what we see here in Isaiah 6. Let's begin in verse 1. In the year King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called. And the house was filled with smoke. Isaiah saw God as he actually is, unfiltered in heaven. And he saw these seraphim. Now, if you do angelology and you read the Bible, what you realize, the Bible's not about angels. It's about God. But there are these creatures made by God to be his servants. Now, these seraphim, these, these are unique creatures. Uh, they are also noted and known as the burning ones, as the burning ones. And, and notice what they're doing. So they have six wings. With the first, they are covering their eyes. Why? Because God is holy, 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 and they dare not look upon his holiness or be consumed. Even these burning ones, these angelic hosts, cannot look upon God because of his greatness and because of the danger of his very being of holiness. Now notice also they're covering their feet. Uh, the feet are symbolic of, of being defiled, of being dirty. And nothing, nothing defiled can enter into God's presence. Nothing dirty can be in God's presence. We'll see that as we, as we study verse 8 of Matthew chapter 5 of who it is that will see God and why. And so these angels, these seraphim, they are, they are crying out of the greatness of God. Holy, holy, holy to the ultimate highest. They, they can't look on them. They, they dare not reveal that the, the indignity. They are in awe of him. This is God unfiltered. Friends, please understand. The God of the Bible is beyond comprehension and he's dangerous because he's holy. Let me ask you, is this how you perceive God? Do you perceive God as dangerous? Do you perceive God as awesome? Or has he become safe and conventional for you? I agree with A.W. Tozer. He said this, what, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. See, if you have a low view of God, you're going to have a low view of everything else. And that's what's wrong with Western society today is we have a low view of God, collectively speaking. Because we don't think much of God, we don't think much of ourselves. And that's why we have so many people who think of themselves as merely animals with desires. And what matters most is their desires. As a matter of fact, they want to be defined by their desires. They want to be defined by what they feel and what they want and what they hunger for. They do not see themselves as, as God made them, as, as they are, as these sacred beings. They, they see themselves as simply animals who are to act on impulse and desire alone. And they see other people the same way. And that's why there's no respect. 
because they're just animals. And if an animal has something you want, you can just take that animal out. They're just things. They're just creatures. They don't matter. Once they die, they're just gone. And that's why there's so little respect in our culture. That's why there's, there's so little awe because there's such a low view of God. And, and so in society and in, and in culture at large, nothing is sacred. And because nothing is sacred, everyone has to live by their own selfish desire. Because God, if God is not sacred, the only thing that is sacred is your desire. You want to get, get canceled today? You want to get mad? Go and tell people that their desires are wrong and what God says in his Bible is true. You will be framed for hate speech. Just go and just take Romans chapter 1 and print it on your page and see what happens. That's awful. How dare you? How dare you speak of this? This, this hurts my feelings. Yeah, God's scary, isn't he? This is the God of the Bible. And when we get a view of, of the God of the Bible, what we realize, he's not safe. The means by which he's chosen to communicate creation, his word, his son, his people, they are safe. But friends, God is not safe. And it is unwise to get too comfortable with God. I find this helpful to, to understanding God. It's the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. Uh, Aslan is pictured as God in this, in this wonderful, wonderful uh, writing. And, and there's a little girl, her name is Lucy, and she's come into the world and, and she is uh, hearing of this Aslan and she's hearing that they're going to come in contact with Aslan, this, this God-like figure. And so she asks a very good question. Is he safe? And I love Mr. Beaver's response and that of Tumnus. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. Mr. Thomas also says he's wild, you know, not a tame lion. Friends, you can't control God. You can't manipulate God. God doesn't need you. God is completely self-sufficient. He is holy, 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 and completely satisfied within himself. He is love because he is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit filled with love. He doesn't need us. But in his grace, he has made us and he has chosen to redeem us. And we can have a place with him, but we first need to understand him. He is a holy, righteous God. And his power has no limit. And, and those of us who are born again, who've been filled with the Spirit, we would do well to understand that we are privileged. To understand that we've been empowered. And that we must stay awake to the greatness of God. I, I've done a lot of driving in the, in the last week. And it's made me think about how a car is a lot like God. You know, cars are not safe. Cars are dangerous things, but they're great blessings because they can get you places quicker in, in, in ways that you may not be able to have gotten there any other way. I, I was driving in Florida this week and, and, and as we were coming back, I got to a place where it kind of made me laugh because typically I like when I'm driving for, for my people, those people, you know, my family, I like them to sleep. Because if they're not sleeping, they ask me silly questions like, how fast are you going? Where, where are we? You know, that sort of thing. But I, I came to a place, and I remembered a few years ago, where I kind of got heavy-eyed, and, and I don't want people judging me, and so we're going to have a moment of confession. How many of you have been driving a vehicle, and, and you found your eyes getting heavy? Show of hands. Good. If you're going to judge me, judge them. We're in this together. All right. And, 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 and so I was laughing because I was thinking, you know, I can remember 
you know, getting heavy. By the way, if you ever get heavy-eyed, this has nothing to do with sermon. This is completely free. This is the kind of stuff you get when you come to Living Hope, all right? If you're getting heavy-eyed, here's what you need. You need two things. You need Coke Zero in a bottle and sunflower seeds. You drink in its entirety the Coke Zero. You will, you will burp and it will hurt a little bit. It's fine. And then you eat the sunflower seeds. I don't mean the shells. You spit the shells in the bottle you just emptied, all right? You'll stay awake 10 hours, promise, if you do it right. It's free. I'm just throwing that out there. But you got to stay awake. You got to stay awake. And as Christians, friends, we we need to stay awake. See, some of you are falling asleep on God. You're falling asleep at the will. The Bible talks about those who've shipwrecked their faith, those who have destroyed their faith, who've ended their faith, who have crashed their faith because they fell asleep. They become unenamored with the greatness of God. There is no fear. There is no awe. They're just driving along like a car. God is a great blessing and he provides blessing, but he is not safe. And we must stay awakened to him. Now at Living Hope, we we are committed to doing five things that keep us awake. And, And we show that with the disciples' cross at the center as we gather for worship. When we gather for worship, we are awakened by the Word of God and by the Spirit of God. We, we equip for growth, not only in the, in the studies that we teach, but in how we live. We take what we've learned and we go every day and we study God's Word and we pray. We connect in a group. We're able to care for people. We're able to be cared for and celebrate and enjoy the fellowship of other believers. We serve the church and world. And that'll keep you awake right there. Hey, if you're having a hard time staying awake, go serve in the nursery. Those diapers will wake you up. But you serve and you're a part of it. But the most important thing is you make more disciples. I'm going to tell you something. If you're bored in your faith, here's what I am quite certain. You're not sharing your faith. Because what happens when you share your faith is people start asking good questions. How can you believe that? How can you believe a text that that's old? Are you sure that that Bible is what is, what is actually the Word of God? How can you know for certain? How can, tell me again why it is you believe this. When you're sharing your faith, you get great questions. You know what those questions do? They awaken your mind. They awaken your heart to the righteousness of God. And they enable you to see the God of the Bible, which enables you to understand yourself. And that's, that's the thing. This desire for righteousness, it comes from the realization of our spiritual need. The, the closer you'll get to God, the more you realize how in trouble you are. This is the second thing I would encourage you to remember and write down. The desire for righteousness comes from a personal awareness of sin. The closer you get to God, the more you see God as he is, the more you see sin for what it is, your own sin for what it is. Look what what Isaiah said in verse 5. Having seen God, this holy, awesome God and the seraphim, he said, woe is me for I am lost. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. By seeing God, he understood and saw himself. By seeing the holiness and the greatness of God, he saw the lowliness and the dirtiness of his own mouth and that of the people from which he is from. He was able to see his sin for what it is. Without a high view of God, without a biblical view of God, we will never see ourselves rightly. Technology is a, is a funny thing. 
the way young people communicate today, it's fascinating to me. And it comes with some perils. You know, back in, in my day, when we wanted to get a message to someone we were interested, you know what we had to do? We had to write a note. And we had to fold it in a very cool and tricky way. And then we had to pass it in the hallway, unless we had a trusted friend, which those are hard to come by, to get them to pass the note without altering it or reading it to other people, right? How many of you ever passed a note in the hallway? You can remember those good old days. Now, some of you young people, you're thinking, that's crazy. Because I know what you do. You snap each other, right? You get that direct message going. Some of you old school young people, you email, which is funny, but that's great. But what has come with this technology is is some terminology that I've learned this week. And some of you may not be familiar with this term, but I'm going to, again, come into Living Hope. These are the things you learn. It's just helpful information. I learned about this term called catfishing. I'm not talking about putting your finger down with a catfish. I'm, I'm talking about, how many of you have heard of catfishing? You so some of you have not. Let me, give you, let me tell you what this catfishing is. Again, it's slang. I don't know the etymology of it. But catfishing is the act of making oneself appear more desirable through the use of old or filtered photos and inflated profile descriptions. What am I talking about? So apparently, young people that want to impress some other young people will send them a message and they'll send a picture of themselves. And that picture is quite flattering. Some may even say unrealistic. Unrealistic. And, and so what's happening is young people are, are and people are, are sending messages, hey, let's meet. And so the young lady shows up and she's looking for a tall, muscular, you know, full head of hair guy and they're, and they're finding me. <laughs> and they can't find the person that they were looking for, right? Because it's like, no way this is the, that's catfishing. Let me tell you what we human beings do apart from the word of God. We're catfishing ourselves. We make ourselves appear to be way better than we actually are. We put filters on. We filter what we really are. And we filter ourselves and we say, you know what? I'm a nice person. Here's our view of ourselves. Without a high view of God, without a view of the God of the Bible, here's what we foolishly believe. We think we're nice people who deserve happy lives and heaven at our death, no matter how poorly we lived. That's a fact. Beyond that, we, we, we think ourselves so smart. We think that we are so smart and our perspective is so right that if anyone dare disagree with us, well, well, then that gives us the right to throw a fit and burn down a city and stop traffic because after all, we are so smart and we are so right and we are so good and it's those people that are the problem and we need to deal with them. Does this sound like the place you know? This is what happens when we are living a filtered life, when we, when we view ourselves outside of the word of God. We all of a sudden think we're, we're actually moral beings. We, we think that we're born good. The, the only people that believe that are the people that have never had children. I am convinced of this. Have children and ask yourself if you think they're born good. They stink and they throw fits and they lie. That's human beings. And friends, without a high view of God, here's what we'll do. We'll filter all that. We'll deceive ourselves. And there are many people, maybe some here today, who are deceived. Isaiah, he saw himself unfiltered. There was no catfishing there. He saw God for who he was, and he saw himself as as he was, as, as a sinner in need of a touch of God. And he got that touch. 
And that's the third thing I want to encourage you to write down and remember that this desire for righteousness comes from. It comes from a divine touch of grace. So here's Isaiah, terrified, seeing God as holy, recognizing himself as sinful. And he says, woe is me, I am, I am, I am going to die. But look in verse 6, look what happened. What the seraphim do is what Jesus does. Then one of the seraphim flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal. And this is, this is where we get the, the concept of them being the burning ones. He had a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And he touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. If this is your Bible, underline this. Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Friends, that is life-giving and life-changing. This is the double cure. Your sin is atoned for. It's paid for. You're no longer responsible for what you've done. It's atoned for, paid in full. And you've been made righteous. It's been, your guilt is taken away. You're, you're now righteous. You have the righteousness of Christ. This is what Jesus has done for us. He's paid for our sin. He's given us his righteousness. So now we have a righteous stand with God and only Jesus can do this. Only Jesus. This is Colossians chapter one, verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. That is only in Christ. Jesus is the only one who has died for your sin. Jesus is the only one that not only died, but has been raised. And now because he's alive, he can live in you and his life in you is holy. And that holy life changes who you are, which changes how you live. It is a transformation from the inside out. It is a gift of God. And it, is, and it is an actual experience. What Isaiah is describing here actually happened to him. He was actually saved. And he was actually able to speak to what happened to him. Can you do that? We use the three circles here to explain how salvation occurs and how sanctification continues. We, we understand where brokenness comes from. It comes from sin. God's design was perfect. Our sin created brokenness. If we will repent and believe the gospel, we will be saved and we will pursue and recover God's design. But we must repent and believe the gospel to be saved. Have you repented and believed the gospel? And can you tell when that happened for you? Look at what Isaiah is able to do. He's able, in the year King Uzziah died, he's able to speak of a specific time. He's able to speak of the transformation. I saw God as he was. I knew my sin. I confessed it. My sin was, was pardoned. I was given forgiveness. I was touched by grace and I was never the same again. Is that your story? Can you, are you sharing your story? Mom and dad, have you shared your salvation story with your children? Grandparents, have you shared your story? Children, listen to me. Have you heard your parents explain the way they were saved? Have you heard your grandparents explain how they were saved? If not, you got something to talk about at lunch today. Don't let them put an iPad in front of you in a coloring book. You start asking some questions. When were you saved? How were you saved? What happened to you? Mom and dad, you need to be able to tell your story. You don't have to tell all the, the, the horrific stuff. I, I don't. I, I talk about the grace of God in my life. And, and mom and dad, you've got to help your children. If they were saved young, you've got to help them remember how they were saved. My children, 
they remember their salvation because I've told them and reminded them of their salvation. When they were young, I can tell them when it, I told them. I've told them over and over, here's what was happening. Here's when you were saved. Here's what you said. Here's what you did. And here's my expectation. They better be telling my grandchildren and my great-grandchildren because they are called to be Christians. To be Christians are to be people who confess the greatness of God, who believe it, have been changed by it. And having been changed by it, we're able to live in this life. And friends, it's not always a comfortable life. Your assignment in Christ Jesus, it may, may not be easy. Your marriage may be hard. Your family life may be hard. Your work life may be hard. Your health may be something hard. But can I tell you something? The things that you're going to remember a million years from now are the hard things, and it's the hard things that make it great. What makes your faith real are the hard times. It's, it's, it's trusting in the Lord. It's leaning into him. And you, 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 here's the truth. We often don't want the assignment that God gives us. But here's what we understand in time. It was the perfect assignment for us. I am currently rereading Experiencing God by uh, Henry Blackaby. If you've not read it, you need to. And if you have read it, you need to reread it again because I promise you've forgotten all kinds of stuff because I have. I, I read this this week. When you trust that God always gives his best, you will devote your heart to whatever assignment God gives because you know in that role you can experience everything God has in his heart for you. Those who are perennially unhappy and dissatisfied with God's assignments exhibit their lack of belief that God loves them and that he is expressing his love in his guidance of their lives. God puts you right where he wants you. You say, well, I sinned. I, I, I got off course. Yep. And God will meet you right where you are. And he will do such a fresh work in your heart that will lead you to a deep satisfaction. It's only when you are living out your assignment to God that you'll be satisfied. And friends, that assignment is not always going to be easy. So write down and remember, the righteous are satisfied in obeying God no matter what. Isaiah's assignment was awful. Look in verse 8. Look at his assignment. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who shall go for us? Then I said, here I am, send me. Notice now that he's been saved, he has direct connection to God. He has direct communication with God. God is speaking to him and he is speaking to God. That's what you get when you're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. But you also get an assignment. And Isaiah heard the call of God and he said, God, I'll go where you tell me to go. And God said, okay, go and say to this people, awful. Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. God was saying, Isaiah, you're going to preach and no one's going to listen. You're going to show them God and no one's going to see it. You're going to live for God and they're going to laugh at you. You will not see the fruit of your faithful labor. Friends, your assignments are not always going to be easy. You're not always going to be able to serve God and see what you wanted to see out of it. But remember what you are. 
You are blessed. You are the Macarius Island. You don't need things from the world to tell you who you are. You don't need things outside of Christ to make you whole. You've been made whole in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1 is true. You have every heavenly blessing. You have everything you need. And so you can go through whatever God assigns you, completely satisfied, pursuing the righteousness of God and being full, being full of God and his great grace. Listen, Isaiah's ministry, man, it wasn't fun. But you know what? 2,700 years later, we're still talking about him. Friends, live your life so that there are conversations in heaven and hell about you. What do I mean? Make the angels applaud your life and say, look at that saint go. And make the demons applaud your death and say, I sure am glad that one is gone. Friends, are heaven and hell talking about you? Friends, live your life in such a way that the angels go, good job. And if today is your last day of death, make sure that you've lived a life that the demons of hell say, I'm glad she's gone. One less prayer warrior we got to deal with. One less guy out there sharing his faith at work. I'm glad that guy's gone. Thank goodness they're gone. They're giving financially. They're serving in difficult places. They're willing to do things that are hard. They do it even when they're tired. I'm glad they're gone. Friends, do heaven and hell care about your life and that it's making a difference? Live your life so that you make a difference. Fulfill your assignment. It's going to be hard, and that's what makes it great. Find your satisfaction in Christ alone and do what he's called you to do, and you will be blessed. Now, I know some of you are not. You're not blessed. Because right now you are living your life based on whatever the world gives you or what you can gain. And I just want to remind you, you're going to lose all of that. And for eternity, you will have nothing but yourself and your sin. I want to encourage you today to repent, to get new life in Christ and make him your Lord and master. And if you have, but you're falling asleep, you need to wake up. And if you're being distracted, you need to be aware of the danger of that. And do not crash your faith. Come and get on your knees before God today and say, God, give me a renewed hunger and thirst for righteousness. Make me mindful of, of, of what it is to be satisfied because in Christ alone, I have all that I could ever need. If, if, if this morning you're, you're, not, you're not in it, get in it. This week I was... I was thinking about a song that I thought, we haven't sung that in a while. We need to sing this. And I was so happy this morning when I got here. Um, Jacob said, you know, I was feeling led to, that we needed to sing this song. And so this morning we're going to sing Amazing Grace. And as we do, I want to encourage you to come and pray. Let's stand up. And if you're a care leader, come to the front. And if this morning you would need, like to be saved, come and talk with one of these who are standing here at the front. And, and if you need to just renew your faith commitment to Christ or you just need to pray, come and pray. I'm going to pray for you now. Let's pray. Father, we are, we are grateful for your grace. And Lord, we are thankful for your word that allows us to see you for who you are. You are high and lifted up and you are holy, 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 and you are dangerous.
but you're good. And you will save to the uttermost those who believe. And so I prayed that today someone will be saved. And, and Lord, for those who are saved, we have an assignment. We have a purpose. And sometimes, many times, it's hard. Would you today encourage your people to fulfill their assignment? And if they are bored, make them very aware that they are in danger of, of crashing their faith. God, we, we trust you to do this work. We worship you. We sing to you in Jesus' name. Amen.